This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on Insurance. I'm an attorney who has retired from the active practice of law and now spend my time as an insurance claims consultant, an insurance claims expert witness, an author and producer of these videos. Today, let's talk about taxes and punitive damages. The reason for people to bring a bad faith lawsuit is to obtain the opportunity to collect punitive damages because that adds to what they would have recovered under the insurance policy itself, allows them to pay their attorneys, and gives them what they believe to be a profit. However, most litigants suing insurance companies and seeking punitive damages are unaware of the tax consequences of such a punitive damages judgment. In Ogilvy versus the United States, a 1996 decision of the U.S. Supreme Court, punitive damages were found to be included as gross income for tax purposes. According to the United States Supreme Court, Congress's primary focus in enacting the amendment was upon what to do about non-physical personal injuries, not upon the provision's coverage of punitive damages under pre-existing law. The court clarified, the law and establish that punitive damages are not, not excludable from gross income. If Congress was to select one kind of receipt of money, which above all others would be a fair mark for taxation, it might well be the windfalls that are received when punitive judgments are rendered. There can be no question that punitive damages recovered by a respondent, an insured suing an insurance company, greatly enhanced its ability to pay taxes. Realizing that one reason for the 16th Amendment was to place the burden of taxation according to the ability to pay. The Seventh Circuit, for instance, concluded that the term income, as used in the amendment Congress intended to include punitive damages in income, if it had the constitutional power to do so. Section 22A of the Internal Revenue Code provides, quote, gross income includes gains, profits, and income derived from salaries, wages, or compensation for personal service of whatever kind and whatever form paid or from professions, vocations, trades, businesses, commerce, or sales, or dealings in property, whether real or personal, growing out of the ownership or use of or interest in such property also from interest, rent, dividends, securities, or the transactions of any business carried on for gain or profit, or gains or profits and income derived from any source whatsoever. 
This is 26 U.S.C. Section 22A and the Commissioner of Internal Revenue versus Obernester Glass Company, a Seventh Circuit decision in 1954. So when the portion of settlement proceeds representing punitive damages was not entitled to the exclusion from gross income, it is income and subject to the income tax. The United States Tax Court dealt with a recipient of an insurance bad faith punitive damages award in Gary L. Greenberg versus the Commissioner of the Internal Revenue, a 2001 decision. The award of punitive damages for bad faith conduct on their insurer resulted in a major tax consequence and not the windfall the plaintiffs thought they had received. Because the Greenbergs could not convince the tax court of their position, the court not only slapped the Greenbergs down in affirming a tax deficiency of over $1 million, but further sanctioned them with an accuracy-related penalty because the taxpayers had neither substantial authority nor reasonable cause underlying their posture on the damage award. The tax court noted that the definition of gross income broadly encompasses any addition to a taxpayer's wealth. Therefore, absent an exception by another statutory provision, damages awards from a lawsuit must be included in gross income. In general, Exclusions for from income are narrowly construed by the tax court. The Greenbergs argued that the punitive damages they received in their insurance bad faith case could be excluded from income under Section 104A3, primarily because punitive damages could not have been awarded without the insurance policy. The tax court discounted the but for argument, and found it was discredited by the Supreme Court's analysis in Ogilvy. In that case, the Supreme Court considered an earlier version of the statute that excluded from income the amount of any damages received, whether by suit or agreement, and whether as lump sums or as periodic payments, on account of personal injuries or sickness. The court reasoned that both the statute and the intention of Congress to exclude those damages that compensate for personal injuries or sickness indicated that the exclusion did not include punitive damages. The tax court noted the clear intent of the law as follows, quote, any punitive damages award arguably is made because of some injury and thus would not be awarded but for the injury. Punitive damages are for the purpose of punishment, not compensation for personal injuries or sickness, and therefore do not meet the requirements of the statute. The Greenbergs claimed to the tax court that the punitive damages they received were not punitive, but bad faith damages. They contended without citation to any relevant authority that damage awards that serve both to compensate and punishment 
are excludable. The tax court didn't buy the argument because bad faith damages are by definition punitive damages and that the punitive damages they received were ineligible to be excluded because they were not compensating for personal injuries or sickness. The tax court also noted that the legal fees and costs received in a judgment that correspond to taxable damages are also taxable. Punitive damages, on the other hand, do not compensate the plaintiff for anything, for lost wages, for pain, for suffering, property damage, or any other damages designed to place the plaintiff back the way he was before the tort occurred. Punitive damages are considered by the government, therefore, to be a windfall to the taxpayer and are considered income. The Internal Revenue Service requires the plaintiff who receives a punitive damages award to include the amount of punitive damages awarded as income when the plaintiff files his or her tax return. Following a trial, a jury returned a verdict in favor of the petitioners. The award included both compensatory and punitive damages. The petitioners did not initially report their punitive damages award as taxable income, but have since conceded that the portion of those damages retained by them is included in gross income. They argued, however, that the portion of the punitive damages retained by their attorney as fees and costs should be excluded. The tax court, obviously and with good reason, disagreed, ruling that all of the punitive damages were fully includable in petitioner's gross income without an offset for attorney's fees and costs. The tax court further ruled that as miscellaneous itemized deduction, the contingent fees paid to their lawyers are subject to disallowance as a result of the application of the alternative minimum tax, the AMT. The tax court correctly determined that the legal expenses at issue were miscellaneous itemized deductions and as such are not allowed as discussed deductions for purposes of computing AMT liability. The Internal Revenue Code is clear on the subject because Section 104 provides, quote, compensation for injuries or sickness in general, except in the case of amounts attributable to and not in excess of deductions allowed under Section 213 relating to medical, etc., expenses for any prior taxable year, gross income does not include amounts received under Workmen's Compensation Acts as compensation for personal injuries or sickness to the amount of any damages other than punitive damages received, whether by suit or agreement, and whether as lump sums or as periodic payments on account of personal physical injuries or physical sickness. For taxation purposes, gross income includes all income from whatever source derived. 
an accession to wealth such as a plaintiff's punitive damage award is presumed to be taxable income unless the taxpayer can demonstrate that it fits into one of the tax code's specific exemption. Purely punitive awards are not intended to compensate the injured party, but rather to punish the tortfeasor whose wrongful action was intentional or malicious and to deter him and others from extreme conduct. Lawyers knowledgeable of the tax law dealing with punitive damages attempt to avoid the tax consequences by writing settlement agreements to indicate all payments are made for compensatory damages. The IRS, however, understands that such attempts can be made. For example, in Bagley v. CIR, an Eighth Circuit decision in 1997, the tax court found that counsel for IBP did not want to show an allocation to punitive damages and that it was clearly in the interest of both parties not to show an amount allocated to punitive damages. Even so, IBP was not in a position to demand that punitive damages not figure into the amount of the settlement since the prospect of punitive damages liability was so likely no matter what the result of the pending trial. Insurance litigants seeking punitive damages must understand that even if there is no judgment, the IRS will look to the allegations of the suit and the wording of the settlement agreement to determine what part of the settlement agreement was taxable. For example, in Edward Collins versus the Commissioner of Internal Revenue, a 19 or a 2017 decision of the tax court. The court considered the fact that while there may be some ambiguity as to what the parties to the settlement agreement intended to encompass with the meaning of the term emotional distress, the taxpayer failed to persuade the court that those damages were really punitive in nature. Looking outside the settlement agreement, the tax court found that even a heart attack and its physical after-effects constitute physical injury or sickness, rather than mere subjective sensations or symptoms of emotional defense. Therefore, one half of the sum received as non-economic damages on an account of physical injury or physical sickness and was as a result excludable from the taxpayer's gross income, while the other half was not, and therefore was taxable. People who get punitive damages awards, especially in a state like California, must understand that they may have no benefit from the award. Because a plaintiff's attorney dealing with a bad faith suit will, in many cases, require a 50% contingency fee of the punitive damages. So that if, for example, there is a $1 million punitive damages award, the attorney gets $500,000 and the insured or plaintiff gets $500,000. 
but the taxing authority taxes the insured on the full million-dollar award. And in a state like California, when you apply both federal and state income taxes, almost all, if not all, of the $500,000 in punitive damages received by the insured will go to the taxing authorities, and the plaintiff will receive none of it. So be careful when you seek punitive damages and understand that you may recover nothing if you receive an award of punitive damages. The taxman always gets what he wants. This video was adapted from my book, Zalma on Insurance Claims, Part 106, Second Edition, which is available from Amazon.com as both a Kindle book and a paperback. And you can get further detail from uh, my website, Zalma.com, by clicking on the Insurance Claims Library, where a description of all 10 volumes of Zalma on Insurance Claims are described. If you found this video to be useful to you, please forward it to your colleagues and subscribe to my YouTube channel and to my blog so that you can be informed of future videos and blog posts. Thank you for your attention.